0: M. S. W. Media. Welcome-
1: to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there.
2: The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike.
0: So, yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Clean Up on Aisle 45. It's Wednesday, July 27th. This is episode number 80. I'm your co-host, Allison Gill. With me, as always, is the amazing real-life lawyer, Andrew Torres. Hello.
1: (laughs) Hi, Allison. How are you?
0: Oh, you know what? It was an interesting week in uh, weekend, I should say, in, in D.C.,
1: i I can only imagine there's you know a couple of things going on down there as we speak so uh
0: <laughs> yeah the 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 standout moment i mean there was a lot of criminal um intent that was sort of unveiled uh which is very important but uh, Josh Holly stole the show <laughs> he stole the show
1: i there is i it had absolutely no legal significance. It had absolutely no evidentiary significance, but I love the fact that the January 6th committee took like three minutes out of a primetime hearing to show Josh Hawley comically running. Uh, this will provide what I understand to be the very litigious owners of the copyright on Yakety Sax, uh, an opportunity to uh, to send out some cease and desist letters. But uh, in the meantime, definitely uh, you know download those... Uh, those TikToks and other clips of uh, Josh Hawley running around to the Benny Hill theme song. It's fantastic. So,
0: Yeah, I, I'm kind of kicking myself for not buying the rights to yackety-sacks <laughs> b- when Trump was elected, um, but, you know, here we are, nonetheless. <laughs> yep, uh, yep. Yeah, uh, so anyway, um, just it truly, actually amazing moment in the hearing room. There was just a, a very loud laughter, very loud reaction to to that, and I think it was <laughs> I think it had to do with not just the running, but the juxtaposition of his, you know, fist pump power uh, move yeah, well, to that. And then the slow-mo replay, really. <laughs> the, the
1: slow-mo replay is great. But, but also, I mean, let's not pause too lightly over this, you know, what used to be the chicken hawk phenomenon, right? Like all of these Vietnam era draft dodgers who all of a sudden during the George W. Bush administration became, you know, the fiercest war hawks that, you know, that ever existed. And, and you see that now in these Trump wannabes, like, yeah, Donald Trump is a bully, but like, you know, when, when Ted Cruz takes the stage and says, I just want you to know my personal pronoun is kiss my ass. You're like, Ted Cruz has never said "kiss my ass" in his entire life prior to now, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you walked up to Ted Cruz and did that like you know sh- aggressive kind of shoulder shrug at him, there is no question he would flinch away like a you know terrified sixth grader. Like, come on, like
0: yeah, serious mm-hmm. underpinnings of how bullies actually act yep. versus what they say, yeah. And, you know, I think that that is that does shed some importance and some light on the fact that the Republican Party has gone from Andover prep Ivy Leaguers pretending to be cowboys to now. To, Andover. to
1: Harvard Law, Yale Law, educated constitutional law scholars pretending to be good old boys. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there, but like. It,
0: but And now and now it's shifting to instead of being good old boys, it's shifting to being bullies. Yeah, uh, and, yeah. and I think that that is they're finding that feeding into that anger uh, really uh, kind of riles up their base a yeah. lot more. So. No,
1: no, that is exactly right. And I, uh, I, I apologize for cutting in. That was, uh, that was right. No, no, no. But, but, but it is, I, I feel like this gets lost, right? Josh Hawley is a professor of constitutional law. He graduated with honors from Yale Law School. Ted Cruz was the year ahead of me at Harvard Law School. He graduated with honors. He clerked for one of the, you know, had one of the most prestigious clerkships. They, I, it just like the all of a sudden, I not only pretending to be bully, but pretending to be as dumb as they, uh, you know, act out in public, and and the finger pointing at elites is just. Mm-hmm. I, I,
0: well, that was it, it. Was first brought to my attention when I was younger, and I was listening to one Greg Giraldo, one of my favorite comedians, talking about George Bush, and he, yeah. you know, he was like, "Yeah, I'm a cowboy. Hoo, 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 shoot, pew, pew, pew. I'm a cowboy." He's like, "You went to Andover Prep. You were a cheerleader <laughs> at Yale, right. and you yeah. know, you're you're not fooling anybody, but they yep. do fool quite. They a lot did,
1: of people. yeah, and still get. Oh.
0: all right. Well, before we go any further with the show today, we want to thank our new patrons, Douglas Yenser, Michael Gula." karsten wade don bell vince noel and erica lee excellent thank you for joining us
1: yeah thanks to all of you and remember you too can get a shout out by heading on over to patreon.com slash aisle 45 pod that's a-i-s-l-e-4-5-p-o-d and pledging as little as a buck an episode you get the ad free version of the show you get our bonus zoom calls all sorts of great stuff we get, we got one of those upcoming those are always so much fun Hey, this is Andrew Torres. You're going to hear Allison and I discuss at the end of the episode scheduling a happy hour for patrons. I want to tell you we did that, and it is going to be Friday, August the 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Figure out if you live somewhere in between, and uh, it will be after the Daily Beans episode. patron hangouts so you know i i'm not promising we're gonna go late but i'm gonna say that that there's nothing that would stop us from going uh over an hour and uh, i'm really really looking forward to uh being able to hang out with all of you i know allison is as well so uh mark your calendars friday august 5th 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern for the cleanup hangout patrons at any level get to participate. It's a lot of fun. We all just uh, get on Zoom and, uh, and chat, and it's, uh, it's been great. So we will see you then Friday, August 5th, 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. On with the show.
0: Yeah, what's our lead story today, Andrew?
1: Yeah, we learned last Thursday during prime time while you were there personally, <laughs> uh, that the January 6th committee will be continuing its work. They will be meeting privately with new witnesses and reviewing documents, my favorite thing on Earth, throughout the month of August, and then resuming public hearings in September. So, Allison, your top-line thoughts on that?
0: Well, my first top-line thought, I love this. The more hearings closer to the election, bring it. But I also want to caution everyone. <laughs> I want to caution everyone that this could push back indictments for the upper echelon of the coup plotters because they're going to need, DOJ, as we've discussed, is going to need as many of those transcripts and interviews as they can get their hands on so that they can look for inconsistencies and cut them off at the pass, head them off at the pass before they're sitting in trial and they've got their witness on the stand and that witness is impeached by giving different testimony to Congress than they did to the Department of Justice or a grand jury. It happened in the Sussman case. And I, you know, I just want to make everybody, it's important because we need to, as I, you know, I spoke to Jamie Raskin this morning and he said, look, our hearings have shifted the ground underneath DOJ. They're working, they're doing their job. He said, I have faith in that, but the hearings are shifting the ground underneath the Department of Justice to move at a different kind of pace or uh, understanding, move forward with a different understanding. And not only that, but it's moving, the, the, the January 6th committee hearings are there to, you know, put this, try it in the court of public opinion, you know, social and political um, implications, not criminal implications, because they don't do that. Uh, But it's very important for the committee to change minds of Americans. We didn't have half of the country wanting to impeach Donald over the Mueller investigation because of the cover up from Rosenstein and Barr. So they didn't go forward with it. And I was glad that they didn't because they would have lost in 2018. And they they shouldn't have run on on the Mueller investigation because there was just not enough public interest. I try, tried my damnedest <laughs> to get, to make public interest, <laughs> uh, but there simply wasn't enough. This is garnering the public interest that's necessary to free up the DOJ from being, They They're going to feel more comfortable issuing indictments for, you know, politically charged indictments if the country is on their side.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. And I would emphasize the other side of that as well, right, which is, If the DOJ were to hand out indictments prior to the January 6th committee completing its job, they could potentially undermine active cooperation with the committee, right? So we know, you and I have been talking about this, we don't know where Mark Meadows stands right now. We know that the committee appears to be undertaking kind of an elaborate carrot and stick dance with him, right? We, we, we saw them persuade Patsy Cipollone, Patsy Boloney right uh it, it, we have no idea if in August they're going to get some continuing voluntary testimony from Meadows if he will re-engage but we can say this if Meadows gets a target letter, he's gonna clam up why why that would is. you do anything if you could potentially be, uh, the 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 subject of a DOJ investigation potentially be the target, uh, potentially be indicted. I, I would advise Mark Meadows, you know, take the fifth at that point. You know, you 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 can't mm-hmm. voluntarily provide information to Congress while doing that. So anybody who is potentially connected to the January sixth uh, committee roster that, that the DOJ is going to back off. And let's be very very clear that means. The DOJ is not going to indict Donald Trump until after the January 6th committee is done. Yeah. I I, 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 know. Look, you know.
0: (laughs) I know. Uh, The way that it's going to have to work is the January 6th committee is going to have to finish publicly. The DOJ is going to have to finish their investigation privately. Then they're going to have to get together, trade notes. Then we will be able to see uh, the indictments that they decide to bring. And I'm not sitting here saying he's definitely going to be indicted. Merrick Garland will save us all. That's not how I operate. Um, But they can't move forward at Department of Justice until they're all done with both.
1: I I think that's right. And again, you know, uh, you and I have been covering these hearings in more depth on our respective shows. I, I, I think right now, right? Very, very good case against Trump on 18 U.S.C. 371, right? That is interference with an existing governmental proceeding. Very good case under 1512C for obstruction, right? But um, there's a weakness. I mean, the the committee acknowledges this, right? Like the, The reason they are continuing to work is because Liz Cheney would like to see Donald Trump indicted under 18 U.S.C. 2384 for seditious conspiracy. That, I would too. I, we all would, right? Like, uh, because that's the thing he did,
0: right? Mm-hmm. And I think the reason that Adam Schiff is pushing so hard at this, Adam Schiff is running for re-election, yep. and and that message gets people to the polls. We got to re-elect this guy. He he lights a fire under the Department of Justice. Yep. it's a it's a smart political move to do.
1: Yep, and and so you know you you put all that together. I get it. Our audience, you, I, I we we're all team. Trump should have been in an orange jumpsuit since Jared Kushner, right? Like it, it, it it's, it, it's obvious he's a criminal to us. the The question is, how do you present? How do you, how do you wrap that up in such a way that uh, an AUSA looks at the case and says, I, "I can win this case." And and again, you know, you and I have talked about this offline. If you listen to opening arguments, like there is right now a reasonable defense available to Donald Trump for a 2384 seditious conspiracy charge that says, look, I never employed force. The people who were there, like were there riled up, but, but I didn't intend for that. I didn't know they were going to be armed. I didn't direct them to show up. Yeah, I know people show up at my rallies. But, like, I never sent a message to Enrique Tario that said, hey, man, bring the weapons, right? And typically, I've read every 2384 case from the past 100 years, okay? There, there aren't that many of them. It's not that impressive. Um, and, and in all of those cases, using force is something that is clearly established, right, by either testimony or direct documentary evidence, right? There's, there's a letter that says, and come armed. Right. And right now, there isn't one of those. Does that mean? I have to believe, right? The connection through Roger Stone is pretty strong. And between and Bannon and yep. the
0: Hutchinson testimony where she said, get rid of the mags. I don't care if they're armed. And most importantly, they're not here for me because his previous defense could have been, why would I want to go to the Capitol if there was going to be violence? Right. Uh, and and that is completely blown away by his. They're not here to hurt me. I'm yep. not scared of them. Yeah. Um. And, so and, we'll and, see how it rolls. And, and you
1: do. And I'm I'm glad you point that out because I I don't want to go too far down that track. Right. Like one of the things that I thought happened very effectively at Thursday's hearing uh, was showing the intercepted radio traffic of the Proud Boys of the supporters. Uh, to Donald Trump's 2:39 p.m. tweet, right, and saying, "Oh, you know, he said X," <laughs> right. Notice that he says, "Stand by our Capitol police." He didn't say anything about not shooting congressmen, right? Um, and and I and I thought that was incredibly effective. And and that's the mm-hmm. flip side of it, right? Like if you know this is a crowd that is hanging on your every word, right? That that can help establish, right? So I don't I don't mean to suggest that the case is Weak, I mean to suggest that if I'm in AUSA and I'm back, ch- which they're not right. But but if I were in a USA, if I were back graves and I was trying to back channel to the January 6th committee, I would say, hey, anything you can do that can help strengthen the violence link will help me in bringing a seditious conspiracy charge. And
0: mm-hmm. and I think. Yeah. And the, I think the we know that, that. The, yep. an explicit agreement doesn't need to exist. It just has to be doing overt acts toward the same goal. Yep. Um, I think gives them enough to to indict for seditious conspiracy. But you also have to remember, they, Graves can indict for seditious conspiracy and 1512C2 and 371. And, and, and then the jury might say, we didn't find seditious conspiracy, but we did find obstructing an official proceeding. Um, but I don't think Matt Graves is the kind of guy that would just throw a charge at the wall to see if it would stick. Um, because, you know, he had to work pretty hard to button up the seditious conspiracy case for the Oath Keepers after Mike Sherwin pretty much destroyed it. Yeah, uh, the the year prior, uh, and so I, you know, I think he deliberately brings that charge, and and if he doesn't see it, and if he doesn't think he can get it, he won't bring it, but if he thinks he can, he'll bring it. But we don't have to; the whole thing doesn't hinge on twenty three eighty four. They, they don't, he doesn't lose the entire case if if Trump isn't indicted on seditious conspiracy. But we, you do run the risk of if you indict him for obstructing an official proceeding, and you indict him for conspiracy to defraud the United States and you, tr- you indict him for seditious conspiracy, and he gets off on the seditious conspiracy charge, of course he's going to howler monkey about that. See, I told you I was not a seditious conspiracy. You can't even bring an insurrection charge against me. I'm totally innocent, even if he's guilty of other, uh, what he'll call process crimes.
1: Yep, that that is exactly the game plan if, if, if it unfolds in that direction, right? The, oh yeah, oh look, what they got me for was uh, that I interrupted a meeting of Congress, right? Big and you
0: deal. can tell because that's how he talks about his tax—the thing yep. that the Manhattan DA was doing. Oh, they get me on a couple of giving rewards to my staff, but nothing else illegal, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh,
1: the fact that we live in an era in which you can confess to crimes and say, "But they didn't get me on the, on the crimes that I didn't confess to," is yeah. Uh, but yes, so. New piece of information we learned. The January 6th committee is considering subpoenaing Jenny Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Uh, Your
0: thoughts? (laughs) Well, first of all, everybody gets pissed about the word considering. I I see all over social media. Stop considering you assholes and just do it. But the the way that news is reported is we don't wait (laughs) until the end and then report it as things are being considered. You report that news, and I gotta say, the January Six Committee's track record of considering things and then doing them is a—they're th- batting a thousand. Everything they've considered and told reporters publicly, they were considering—they've done, subpoenaing congressmen. Uh, you know, so I don't read too much into the word "considering" because they—the the news guys want to put that story out, but they can't come out and say they've subpoenaed her because they haven't yet. <laughs> uh, so cuz you know time is linear again that's a it, that's a big problem with justice right that linear time problem but um you know i think this is good i actually asked it, it i wrapped up the Jamie Raskin interview if you want to hear that uh episode by the way it aired yesterday uh on the daily beans and i said just just a uh you know one thing i you know listeners want to uh just put in a message for you please subpoena Jenny Thomas and uh, and Jamie R- R- Raskin said Message received. (laughs) That was as far as it went. Uh, But you know what a what a mensch that guy is. Uh, But yeah, no, she uh, needs to be held accountable just as anyone else does. And if they if subpoena her, and I don't think she'll be cooperative. Um, You know, I I think she'll do what some of the less smart, but not completely idiotic insurrectionists have done, which is show up and plead the fifth and then go about her merry way.
1: I I think that's right. I think that it helps move the debate forward to have the wife of a sitting Supreme Court justice say, oh, I may have committed crime, so I can't speak to that. It's
0: a Um, big deal. I I
1: recognize, and again, let me be 100% clear about this. In the confines of a criminal case, you may not instruct a jury to draw an adverse inference from the defendant's refusal to testify in invocation of his or her Fifth Amendment rights. Okay? That is true. I am not saying it will have any legal significance just like Josh Hawley racing through the halls has no legal significance. I'm saying in the court of public opinion, we know what it means. There's a reason they keep showing John Eastman going, the fifth, the fifth, that they show... I, I, Flynn, you know, when he, do you Flynn. believe
0: in a peaceful transfer of power fifth I, that, yeah. that's right. and and mm-hmm. so uh,
1: so let's be clear in a criminal trial of Ginny Thomas, which will never ever happen. okay didn't there is right. don't don't uh, yeah, in a criminal trial of Ginny Thomas, her invocation of her Fifth Amendment rights absolutely could not be held against her. In the court of public opinion it absolutely can be held against her. And her husband by implication. And we can start that conversation on impeaching Clarence Thomas. You would have mm-hmm. the, the the grounds for beginning to do so in a situation other than just, you know, our shows.
0: <laughs> right. Right. And and the reason, you know, I want to reiterate that it's very important to understand that she's not probably, I, I would say, not going to face uh, any indictment. And and the reason for that is she funded the rally. She funded the rallies. Yes, but you would have to prove she funded the rallies knowing they would turn violent. You would need some pretty hard evidence of that. And her defense would be, hey, I was just funding the rally at the ellipse, the speech at the ellipse. You could take Trump to the bank for, for making him violent. Um, and, and, you know, to us, that seems like a weak sauce defense, but it's actually a pretty solid defense, uh, it, you know, with the with the bar that you have to meet in the Department of Justice to show Intent, right? And it's it's much like a story that Ellie Honig told in his book, where he said, look, we had a, a mafia boss send out a couple of guys to beat the shit out of somebody. They called it a hospital meeting. Um, and then all of a sudden, the, the guy comes jumps up out of the back of the car and shoots the dude. They can't get Gotti on, you know, attempted trying to, murder, attempted yeah. murder, because Gotti only intended to beat the guy up. And and so that's what this is. She only I only intended to send a bunch of assholes to the ellipse. I didn't uh, know they were going to obstruct an official proceeding and be violent and kill five people. So as much as that sucks, it, it they it would be overturned on appeal, et cetera, et cetera.
1: And and let me make the argument for where it doesn't suck. It is highly likely that another Republican is going to be elected in our lifetime. We have seen them demonize Antifa as, you know, lumping together all left wing protests, uh, grossly mischaracterizing them. You do not want to set a precedent that political protests are fair game for criminal indictment. Right. I, they it, will
0: it, anyway. But, you know, we don't want to set that precedent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. that, that That's right. That's right. And so, you know, in <laughs> in my view, look, in my view, they tried
0: to do it. They tried to do it with the George Floyd stuff. They're going to uh, they're going to try they, to do it are. again. They, but but now they, right. they can't point to to us and say, <laughs> oh, you didn't. So we're doing it. Uh, that's
1: it. That's exactly right. And and, and again, Ginny yeah. Thomas, as a private citizen, has a right to believe whatever nutbag QAnon conspiracy crap she wants to believe. She has a right to engage in that kind of participation and behavior, but it is incumbent upon her not, not to participate in criminal behavior, not to influence. Uh, it is incumbent upon both her and her husband to erect the kind of ethical laws that very clearly do not exist uh, that, you know, prevent her insane beliefs from uh, uh, influencing Supreme court opinions. But, but, but again, the, the line is really, I, I just want to point out, right? Like it has been part of the, anti-choice overturn Roe v. Wade playbook for years that several of the votes of various Supreme Court justices were tainted because their wives and or daughters were active in Planned Parenthood or you know otherwise. Right? And again, that, like that's nonsense, right? So we, we, we just need to be sure that we're not setting up the kind of argument that you wouldn't endorse if the shoe were on the other foot. Um, yeah,
0: exactly. It's the same reason a lot of people who were saying, you know, Bannon, throw him in jail, throw away the key, no bail, etc. Cetera, so et cetera. he shouldn't be able to do his podcast. That's a huge 1A infringement. Uh, um, uh, now, I mean, if he incites violence or physically threatens somebody, that's a crime. But if he's just spouting his weird QAnon bullshit, we can't stop that from happening because next time I'm going to be the one in jail. But, <laughs> you know, from a, <laughs> from a political uh you know a person trying to fire me from my job for my speech gosh that never happens um so yeah we just have to as much as we hate the speech and as much as we know that how despicable the person is they still have due process under law and criminal defendant rights under the constitution and we need to respect those because if we don't then our hands are no longer clean
1: yep Agreed entirely. And, and and that kind of pivots into my, my last bullet point that I had under uh, this section, and that is um, a- August is significant for more than just the January 6th committee continuing its investigations. That is also uh, when Wyoming holds its primary. And uh, as far as I can tell, Liz Cheney is going to lose her seat. All the polls show her down 20 to 30 points to a Trump-backed Idiot with you know no credentials, no reasonable ability to to overturn a, a sitting member of Congress, and Wyoming is one of those states that it's it's an at large congressional seat. It's actually harder to be elected to Congress to to the House of Representatives in Wyoming than uh, than to the Senate. So, um, it, it I I have been careful. You have been careful not to heap unwarranted praise, particularly on Republicans who are still monsters. We can say Liz Cheney, you know, daughter of a war criminal, uh, almost everything she stands for is something we have stood against and will continue to fight. Uh, but but I, I am on record, I don't think it's going to lose us any more patrons than it already has, of, of saying that, that that is real political courage. And I would contrast that with, you know, Mike Pence, who's completely absent. Right, who you mm-hmm. haven't heard from at all. And that's because that fucking idiot still thinks that he could be president someday, despite the fact that his base that he would need to elect him president wanted him hung from a gallows. Mm-hmm. And and like at that point, I don't know. Maybe you look at it and go, Okay, I've lost this this group of people. But you're not Mike Pence because you're not an egotistical, deluded moron. Um Liz Cheney voluntarily gave up her congressional seat. She could have pulled a Kevin McCarthy, right? She could have backed off and not not endorsed the, but just like said nothing. quiet,
0: yeah, said nothing.
1: And she'd be fine. She'd be coasting to a runaway victory in Wyoming. Uh, no, she your... could have
0: disrupted the hearings and, yeah. and and made them Jim Jordany and and would have maybe won in in Wyoming. But she you know she told the Sunday shows yesterday. Look, I, I would I, if a hundred times out of a hundred I would give up my congressional seat to support the Constitution and democracy and the peaceful transfer of power. Hundred times out of a hundred. And uh, of course, of course, I know that doing your fucking job shouldn't earn you a, a medal. Um, uh, but you know it is she she did sacrifice her 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 seat uh and so you know i i hero whatever i wouldn't call her but that is different from how other republicans are acting
1: <laughs> yep and oh i and, and i think i uh i think i i preemptively uh, omitted one piece of late breaking news, which is that a uh, judge has now disqualified Fulton County D.A. Fannie Willis from overseeing matters connected to false elector Burke Jones because of, quote, an actual and untenable conflict of interest. End of quote. Your uh, thoughts on that?
0: Yeah. So what happened was um, that guy's running, I think, for lieutenant governor. He's a, he's currently a, a senator in Georgia. Uh, state senate and he was a fraudulent elector and she's investigating him and she held a fundraiser for his opponent and then announced that he was a target of her investigation and so while i think that a, a not so trumpy judge would probably just give her an earful and let her keep going this judge decided to pull her off the case It allows another prosecutor to do all the stuff with Jones. She still is in charge of the whole investigation. uh, And it's just she can't subpoena him or indict him. Somebody else would have to do that. And this goes right at the heart of that Garland memo. Now, I know that she's state and Garland is federal. But that memo that everybody lost their minds over that says, "You, you can't announce investigative stuff close to an election because... You know you're gonna you're gonna get your you're gonna get appealed, uh if you if you secure a conviction we can't do that we can't impact elections, and and this result is why we don't do that.
1: Yeah, that that is exactly right. Let me let me fill in a couple little details that sort of make it I, I don't know wor- worse uh, for the case against Fonnie Willis. Um, so Burt Jones is the Republican nominee for Lieutenant Governor, right? Like so he that's his name on the ballot in November uh against uh, Democrat Charlie Bailey. Um the relief as you point out incredibly narrowly tailored, right? Granted only with respect to subpoenaing Burt Jones, not with respect to the other 11 alternate electors, right? So You're free to gain, uh, if you're Fonnie Willis, the same information from the same other, you know, guys who met in the Denny's parking lot that we've talked about. Uh, But but absolutely. Like, I think you and I both saw the story. And, you know, when we're wearing our blue hat, you know, you that's a disappointment. right? You don't want to take a tool away from Fonnie Willis. Um, Incredibly poor judgment on her part to couple. A political invest, a politically charged investigation, for which you want to maintain the the air of impartiality with holding a rally for 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 Charlie Bailey. It, j- it just, uh, in, again, switch the parties that are involved, and you would want us to be to put in to devote an entire episode to railing about this. Right.
0: Right. It's it's the same sort of thing. I mean, the Hatch Act a- applies when somebody like Barr goes out and <laughs> campaigns for Trump, but you know, it doesn't really because Trump is the one who decides when the Hatch Act applies. The president is the uh, you're the boss is the one who uh, determines when the Hatch Act gets applied. But that's you know, it's just not wise, I'll say, to to host a political fundraiser against but- or for the opponent. Of somebody that you're investigating, I I, yep. I personally wouldn't ha- uh, do any fundraising for any political fundraising, for anybody, whether they're, whether they're running against my targets or not. But, um, you know, this this by no means wrecks the case. It's still ongoing. Uh, she, you know, it doesn't it doesn't change anything. Um, yeah, other and, than and, she can't subpoena this guy.
1: And and you know, I, I would read from the mandate because it 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 stre- in my mind strengthens. The ongoing investigation, which again could could lead to an indictment of Donald Trump uh, in Georgia for violation of the state election laws, which, yeah, you know, and
0: right because her uh, being pulled off of this it makes it is bet is actually better for her, yeah. than the investigation in, in in a way, right?
1: Yeah, here's what the court said: Is Senator Jones being singled out because of a desire to further assist the Bailey campaign? The actual answer does not matter. It is the fact that the concern about the district attorney's partiality naturally, immediately, and reasonably arises in the minds of the public and, most critically, the subjects of the investigation that necessitates the disqualification. An investigation of this significance garnering the public attention it necessarily does and touching so many political nerves in our society. And look, like that's the court saying we could indict Trump, right? <laughs> that's That's what this significance means, right? Cannot be burdened. I'm going back to quoting here by legitimate doubts about the district attorney's motives. The district attorney does not have to be apolitical, but her investigations do. The Bailey fundraiser she sponsored in her official capacity makes that impossible when it comes to investigating Bailey's direct political opponent. And I I, I agree. I, so there we go.
0: Yeah, don't think of it as letting Jones off the hook. Think of it as saving a conviction of Jones should there be one. Because now if he's convicted, he can't come back and say, She fundraised for my political opponent. I'm appealing, and then walk free. And a hundred
1: percent would. Yeah, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, because now now the court's gonna go, Yeah, no, we pulled her off that case, bro. You're guilty AF, for, you know, provided he's convicted. Um and and he would he doesn't now he this judge is taking away a reason for him to appeal his conviction and have it overturned. So uh, it's a roundabout way of saying that that it actually strengthens the investigation into him.
1: I agreed
0: 100%. All right. Well, some more uh, news today. Amy Berman, Judge Jackson, if you're nasty, longtime show favorite, U.S. District uh, Court uh, for the District, of Columbia, uh, and just one of my favorite people, uh, entered into the docket, <clears throat> probably one of my uh, new favorite filings, <laughs> uh when she denied Proud Boy Gabriel Garcia's motion to change venues from the Southern D- D- District of Florida or anywhere else. <laughs> just please don't let me stand trial in DC. Thank you. That's, <laughs> he was just like, get me out of DC. Yep. And in a 32 page written opinion, and it is just a thing of beauty, Andrew. From from the introductory quote from Anthony Bourdain <laughs> to the masterful deconstruction of the bullshit Garcia threw at the court, uh, I, I don't even know where to begin with the awesomeness of of Judge Jackson.
1: Yeah, uh, nothing about Jarred Garlic, but but let's let's start off with the legal implications, right? So first, Garcia's motion is functionally identical to the pending motion filed by Enrique Tario, joined by his co- co-conspirators in his case that is currently pending before Judge Kelly in the same court. Now, there is no law of the district, right? The fact that Judge Jackson found in her discretion that removal was not appropriate uh, does not mean that that Judge Kelly could could find the opposite, right? That the facts facing Tario are different enough that in his discretion, transfer is warranted. But, but that caveat... <laughs> I feel very, very confident in predicting that is not going to happen for the reasons that that we're going to get into. The underlying argument in all of these motions is, well, you know, you can't fairly try a mega hat-wearing idiot in Washington, D.C. because, you know, it's 95% Democratic. And, and that argument, I, I just need you to understand that even a conservative judge doesn't want to hear that argument, right? You don't want to hear, oh, people have already kind of broken down the legal system into red and blue, e- even in the cases where that, that may have a kernel of truth to it.
0: Yeah, no, and that dovetails, ni- dovetails nicely with Berman's introductory quote, uh, which is my, <laughs> my new favorite thing from, from Anthony Bourdain. D.C., he said, D.C. is not just a city of dead presidents and cold marble monuments. The people we see working here on our television screens, in the halls of power, and the plush seats of Sunday morning punditry often have as little to do with the city itself and the people who actually live here as any creatures from another universe. (laughs) This is a city filled with actual, living, breathing, eating Americans, not vessels for one ideology or another, empty suits and empty ideas, Hard lives, hard struggles, and long roads to get here. That's Judge Jackson. (laughs) It's saying she's looking right uh, to to the jury trial. uh, And, you know, as a right that vests in the people. And people are more than just their political ideology. It's an optimistic message. But, you know, we saw a pro-Trump jury in Virginia convict Paul Manafort, even Mm -hmm. as the naysayers were predicting they would engage in jury nullification. And there was a holdout. There was the rural juror, right? The one MAGA lady who was like, well, I can only get him on, uh, you know, nine counts or whatever instead of uh, all 18 because, you know, I don't like that Gates guy or whatever. But she still convicted him on all the other stuff uh, because of documentary evidence. Sometimes people are people and they do take their job seriously. In fact, you know, thinking about the people watching the uh, voir dire and the Bannon trial, I was talking to Hugo Lull, and he's like, I can't believe some of these people don't even know what happened on January 6th. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, and, and and you know, you reference the Bannon trial, like, as here, your job is made easier when it is straightforward, right? So Article 3 sets the baseline, right? It says that federal criminal defendants are to be tried in the state and district where the crime was committed, right? So that's what the presumption is. Then the Sixth Amendment says that, you know, you, as a criminal defendant, you have the right to a fair trial by an impartial jury. So the way in which the law puts those two competing principles together is embodied in Rule 21 of the Federal Rules of Criminal Procedure. Rule 21A governs mandatory transfer, and it says quote, the court must transfer the proceeding against that defendant to another district if the court is satisfied that so great a prejudice against the defendant exists in the transferring district that the defendant cannot obtain a fair and impartial trial there. Uh, And that determination, by the way, is in the sound discretion of the trial judge.
0: Yeah. And Garcia's evidence, the prejudice against him, was so great Primarily came from three surveys he attached to his motion. The first was created by garbage monster John Zogby. And spoiler, he was even less reliable than his notoriously unreliable political polls, really. And the second was commissioned by the Federal Public Defender's Office. The third came from the law offices of Julie Z. Holler. And if that name is familiar to you, it's because it is. Uh, it's because you last <laughs> saw her in tears getting disemboweled by U.S. District Judge Linda Parker in the Michigan sanctions hearings in King v. Whitmer. You may recall that led to Holler, alongside Kraken lawyer Sidney Powell, Lynn Wood, uh, Klein Hendler, and others, uh, to be recommended for disbarment and required to take supplemental education classes in election law and basic legal ethics. <laughs> 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 I, I guess even that wasn't enough to stop the grift train, though.
1: Yeah, but we should take note, she's still terrible at every single job she's ever had, which now apparently includes pollster. So um, here's the legal standard that that that, that uh, Judge Jackson is applying. Um, it was set forth in the Supreme Court case 2010, Skilling v. U.S. If that sounds familiar, that's Jeffrey Skilling from Enron, who moved to transfer the case out of Houston. The trial court disagreed, went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court affirmed the trial court's decision and said basically the same kinds of prejudice arguments that are being raised here by, now denied by Garcia, that are being raised by, by Tario, right? Negative media coverage means I can't get a fair trial in X. And the Supreme Court was really, really skeptical of that argument. It said, Mm -hmm. transferring stuff out is an extraordinary remedy, right? Trying someone in front of, right, the the peers in front of a jury pool drawn from your victims is a key component of the Constitution of Article 3, right? But if you're looking at when do we transfer it out, when does the individual right sort of trump that default, well, you look at three things. Number one, you look at the size and characteristics of the community in which the crime occurred, right? So- the smaller the more insular the more self referential a community the more likely it is that you've got to move it two whether the pre trial publicity quote contained a confession or other blatantly prejudicial information of the type readers or viewers could not reasonably be expected to shut from sight right so that's a that's an easy one right you have a coerced confession it leaks it's suppressed at trial, but everybody who watches the media coverage knows about it. Um, then, yeah, you want to find a place that has less media coverage, right? Um, and then third, also related to that, the amount of time that had elapsed since the alleged crime and whether that passage of time had led to diminished media attention.
0: Mm, yeah, that third one's interesting. Let's let's break it all down. First, as far as I can tell, judges really grant these sorts of motions. Yeah. Uh, notable exception seems to be the trial of Timothy McVeigh. In the Oklahoma City bombing and Judge Jackson basically writes that one off because McVeigh killed 168 people <laughs> in Oklahoma and injured hundreds more so the local impact of that one was pretty significant uh, that seems like the first skilling factor to me uh, that Oklahoma City is small smaller and more insular than DC for example with 700,000 residents and 600,000 potential jurors right
1: yeah, that's exactly right. And and the second factor I think is also pretty straightforward, right? That that there has been a lot of media coverage of January 6th generally, but like there isn't a confession or other piece of evidence that's making the rounds in the press. I, Garcia in particular is not somebody who's even been named by the January 6th committee, like that's that's a a distinction in a point in favor, I guess, in Enrique Tario, who, you know, has has occupied 10 seconds of, you know, about 15 hours worth of testimony. Um, but uh, it, it, there's nothing out there like that um, that forms the kind of key prejudice that the court articulated in Skilling. So that just leaves the third factor, right, which concerns media coverage, as you pointed out. Um, and even though, again, a lot of media coverage, it's it's nationwide coverage of the event as a whole, not the kind of individualized prejudice that, you know, you need to support a finding of mandatory transfer.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And here's where Judge Jackson's wit comes through again. (laughs) I have to quote her. I have to quote, defendant's motion is largely predicated on sweeping unsupported assertions about a city he does not appear to know or understand. None of the surveys support an assumption that any prejudice against this individual defendant is so great that he cannot receive a fair trial in this district. Despite his grandiose claims, there's little evidence that D.C. residents know who he is at all. And, Andrew, <laughs> I had to Google the guy.
1: Yeah, right. Like, if we don't know who Gabriel <laughs> Garcia is, then I, I, you've got a, you're going to have a perfectly fair jury, pal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um uh, also, if you're wondering, hey, did, did Judge Jackson take John Zogby and Julie Holler to task for their idiotic surveys, you will be happy to know the answer to that is also yes, right? So uh, first we have that, uh, that, that Zogby failed to draw a sample that accurately reflected the, the D.C. jury pool. Um, and Holler's was even worse. Uh, they, they didn't specify their methodology and they relied on, quote, a supplemental list of consumers in each test area, end of quote, uh, which prompted Judge Jackson to write, and I'm not making this up, "Consumers, that's not how this jurisdiction's master jury wheel is constructed." And I picture her channeling her inner Jim Mora
0: for that, like saying, "Playoffs, playoffs!" <laughs> like, it was
1: so great. Like I just read, I could, I could just see it. It was fantastic.
0: Yeah, really? maybe they'll have to take some, uh, you know. Extra hours of uh, surveys, like how surveys work. It, it, you know, for ongoing oh, education. That would be beautiful. Please, <laughs> right? Like, hey, um, even if maybe just go read the about section on Survey Monkey. Uh, you know, <laughs> something. Uh, and Judge Jackson had plenty of criticism for the substance of the surveys, also. And and again, I don't, I don't think I can do better than quoting the master herself. Quote: The Zogby survey contains poorly written questions that produced unreliable, uninformative answers. <laughs> For example, question 12 of the Zogby survey asks, and anybody here who has a a, a doctorate, you're going to cringe, quote, are you familiar with the Proud Boys organization member named Gabriel Garcia? (laughs) This question itself gave the respondents information. It would be entirely an appropriate way to proceed in court. As in any trial, the charges would be summarized. The defendant would be introduced. The jurors would be asked if they knew him or had read or heard anything about his case. If it turns out the evidence of any association with the Proud Boys is to be introduced at trial, the members of the jury panel would be asked to separate a general question about whether they've ever heard of the group or if they have any opinion, positive or negative, about it. It was just a shit survey. And of course, jurors would be asked the questions designed to explore whether their views about January 6th in general would make it difficult to assess the evidence against any individual defendant fairly and with open mind, without bias or prejudice to either side. And I think, again, the Bannon voir dire is an excellent example of that.
1: Yeah, no, that's ex- that's exactly right. And that is really the perfect segue to the, the remedy, right? The outcome of this case, which is not to say like eh, prejudice, we don't care, right? It's that it's that the solution to prejudice in the jury pool is the voir dire process, as you point out, as Judge Jackson points out, worked in Watergate, right? Like It's hard to imagine, you know, more negative coverage of someone than negative coverage of Richard Nixon in Washington, D.C. in a scandal that was uh, uncovered by the Washington Post, right? I mean, like, that that's a—that's the bar to climb over. And uh, as Judge Jackson says, in those instances, the safeguard against a bias jury Has always been the same: an extensive voir dire with a detailed inquiry into the sources and intensity of the exposure to pretrial publicity. And then she quotes from another opinion that says concerns about jurors who have fixed opinions or emotional connections to events, right, like January sixth, or who are vulnerable to improper influence from media coverage, are legitimate concerns. The court and the parties are diligently addressing them through the voir dire process. That's what you do: you ask questions designed to reveal that bias. And you do it in a way that is uh, considerably more fair to your client uh, than the Zogby survey, which, which by the way, like it introduced it to evidence, something that they would otherwise be free to, to dispute at trial, right? Like mm-hmm. you, you can't, you can't be get right. Like this is the Simpsons carjacker, Willie, right? Like a wow. And it <laughs> characterizes the defendant as a carjacker, right? If you go in and your first question is, Proud Boy, Gabriel Garcia, Garcia's lawyer has the right to object and say, your Your honor, they haven't established that he's a member of the Proud Boys. I don't know what their defense is going to be, but like, John Zappi right, like, he isn't do helping. Do you
0: hate murderers? Like, <laughs> like, yeah. like what the fuck? Um, yeah, yeah, and, you know, I'm sure your honor will be completely satisfied with voir dire this would, wit- <laughs> You know, I, I, just, I just always, uh, Cousin Vinny pops up, I'm, you know, I have an issue with people in uniform, personally. So I'm rarely picked for juries that involve anybody who wears a uniform, including police officers. So, you know, that's, it, it, that's the remedy for this. And again, this isn't, Steve Bannon had a better case yep. than yep. this guy. Like, honestly, I I can't wait for voir dire. I hope it's probably because every single person could be like, I have no idea who you are, dude. I don't even, <laughs> I don't even know who you are. And half of them are going to go January 6th. What's that? So
1: I, I am, I am very curious, right? Like, because you and I occupy this bubble. You went out to Washington on two separate occasions to view the January 6th hearings in person, for which I am very, very jealous. Um, it, it, So it's unthinkable to us. I, I, I bet 95% of America has no idea who the Proud Boys are, right? Like yeah, no. the, Even people watching the January 6th hearings, you'd have to go back and, and kind of connect it back up and be like, those are those idiots who, you know, are... Dressed in the camouflage carrying the weapon and they'd be like, oh, those guys. Yeah, I hate those guys. Right. Like, but (laughs) but, but I'm I'm always curious as to, you know, what has what has leaked into the public consciousness and what hasn't. And it's always less than you think.
0: Uh, yeah, I'm a karaoke in a blue, blue city and Roger Stone's a fucking mug pops up on television on CNN. And I'm like, oh, I hate that guy. And everyone's like, who's that guy? I don't even who's that guy. I'm like, Roger Stone? Who's <laughs> Roger Stone? You know, and they're like, yeah, who's Roger Stone? Sorry. You know, these are doctors and lawyers. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just not... As it's much as the, of the bubble that we're in, it's just you know it's not a thing. It's like you know, have you ever heard of the Verve? Like it's talking to hipsters about music. It's <laughs> it's. Yeah, but you really need to listen to the tide. You know, I'm sorry, I've never fucking heard of those dudes. You know, but uh, but uh, but this I you is, know. This
1: is going to just segue into us riffing off of uh, John Cusack <laughs> top five records, doing nothing but high, high fidelity references for the next hour. <laughs> uh,
0: totally, oh. absolutely.
1: If you can't get people to know uh, Roger Stone from yeah the. Dude with the Richard Nixon tramp stamp, like
0: I don't, I don't know what will. might we'll ring do. a bell, you know. somebody, oh, I may have heard of that on Facebook, but like literally, this Garcia guy, no, there's just no nobody. Yeah. sorry, dude. And it's, I mean, but you know, they gotta try. I, you know, I don't fault his defense attorneys for trying to to put. I think it's pretty common to put in for a change of venue, even though knowing you're not going to get it, you just roll the dice, right? Um, it's just common pretrial motion. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I I like the example of Oklahoma City and 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 McVeigh because 168 people. Yeah, the the chances that somebody in Oklahoma City knew somebody or knew somebody that knew somebody are much higher than the chances that anybody in D.C. knowing who the fuck this guy is.
1: <laughs> no, that that's right, and and again, the the significance is. That there has to be a delta, right? Like it, it, and so in other words, saying there's really significant negative media coverage of X trial, like like sure, there's significant media coverage of January sixth in D.C., in Virginia, in Maryland, in Florida. It's the same coverage, kind of generally directed everywhere, uh, as opposed to the court really dug into in the case of Oklahoma City, Timothy McVeigh, the fact that the media coverage was different in Oklahoma City, right? It was not, this is an act of terrorism. It was not, you know, sort of looking at the national issues, but it was rather, you know, there are 168 people who are dead and and hundreds more who were injured. So you made that point. I just wanted to to reiterate exactly correctly.
0: Yeah, and, and shoving in that kind of first part of a question to get to the second part of a question, where if you answer the second part, it implicates you in the first part uh, is, is it, it, it's a common tactic. I'm sure you've seen it in a trial where somebody who's there, you know, who's a, a up on the stand is a victim of assault and the the defense attorney is like, ah, yes, but does your drug abuse have any impact on how fast you heal from this assault? And, and it's like, well, it hadn't been established that this person had ever used drugs. <laughs> and so then there's, you know, there's a objection it's like it's, you know, Sustained, always always but you know the idea is to get the idea out to the jury's ears uh and and that's kind of i think what uh, this these uh, formulated surveys i i can't tell if they were on purpose and clever or absolutely just idiotic you know it's 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 a hard line to draw i
1: always presume incompetence with these folks but uh but
0: yeah <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a stacked prejudicial question to begin with. And, and there were a lot of them like that. And I'm glad she went after it. So we'll see. We'll continue to watch how this, how this goes down. I am of particular interest in what's going on with the Matt Gates case. I think they're sort of stuck there. Um, they can't indict him. It's too close to the primary. And then they only have like a, a window of a week between 60 days out from the general, which, and I don't think they're going to try to thread that needle either. I think they're just going to, if they're going to indict, they're going to wait till the end of the year. And something uh, it's important to consider too. I've been saying, you know, Hey, if they had declined to prosecute him and and told him that he'd be squawking about it everywhere. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But had they declined to prosecute him, it could also be considered political to tell him that, uh, and it it could influence the election. So they may have declined to prosecute him and just haven't told him yet, because his squawking about it could be seen as 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 helping him win the election. So, I think that everything they're just going to be heads down for a while on that. We'll find out. Uh, but there is—I wanted to ask you about the difference between a 5K and a Rule 35B, because Greenberg is, has to be sentenced on December 1st, and they aren't going to be able to get a trial of Matt Gates in if they do decide to indict him. He's—he they could and he does end up testifying at Gates's trial and provides a lot of substantive help in the conviction of Matt Gates, then they can put in a 35 B amended to amend his sentence. And it's not like he would have overserved his time by then because dude's got his face in a minimum of 10 years for his uh, child sex trafficking thing. So c- just real briefly before we get out of here, can you tell everybody the difference between a five K and, <laughs> and a 35 B?
1: yeah um and 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 you got that I- exactly correctly, okay? So five k is section five k one of the u s. sentencing guidelines, and those are downward departures. So we're so we've talked about how the federal sentencing guidelines work. You get assigned a baseline, offense number, you look it up on a grid that corresponds to the amount of months that you serve that the, the range of months that's pretty narrowly constrained. That a judge can impose as your sentence. The judge can go beyond the sentencing guidelines, but they're advisory. But they, but most, the the judge has to specifically fill out paperwork that justifies having done so. Right. So most sentences are guideline sentences. Five K one says we are petitioning the court to depart downward, right, from the guideline sentence due to a defendant's substantial assistance to the government, right, and again arises in those kinds of scenarios so so that is a thing you make at sentencing 5k1 then is no longer available after the defendant has been sentenced right which is clearly what's going to happen here if there is ongoing cooperation in a future Matt Gates investigation right that then you know he will have already been sentenced so that will not be available but what is available as a catch-all is Federal Rule of Criminal Procedure 35B, which says the government can make a motion to vacate your existing sentence and impose a new reduced sentence that takes into account post-sentencing substantial assistance, right? So that's the Mm -hmm. breakdown. 5K 1.1, pre-sentencing assistance, Rule 35B post-sentencing assistance, Again, if you're if you're a criminal defendant, you'd, you'd, you'd rather have the 5K1.
0: <laughs> sure. But it doesn't really make a difference for Greenberg, because, as I said, right. he's facing 10 min 10 years minimum. Yeah. And, and so it's not like he will have served more months than he would have been sentenced to if they That's put right. in the 35B. And I, so I imagine if they're if they've decided to to indict Matt Gates, that there was a that there was a conversation between the prosecutor and Greenberg saying, like, look, we got you on the flip side if you. If you testify at trial after your sentencing, we'll we'll put the 35B in and say that you did good. If you did good, and and also there's no statute of limitations on sex trafficking, uh, so it's not like they're under some sort of a a clock running out to indict Matt Gates if they do choose to indict him for sex trafficking a minor. Uh, And so and and even if they don't and they go for some other stuff that has a five year statute of limitations, they could file those indictments under seal and and stop the clock. So it doesn't really make a difference other than people being angry that he's not indicted before his election. But again, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. And we hated it when Comey came out and made uh, an investigatory announcement about Hillary Clinton 11 days before an election. So we also have to hate it for them to make some sort of a, a investigative announcement, whether it be an indictment or opening investigation, so close to his election. It it, it it good for the goose, good for the gander.
1: Yeah, two two quick thoughts on that, and then I'll, I'll defer to you for the last word. <laughs> the the first is I like you and many of our listeners are puzzled as to why Gates was not indicted in January, right? Like right. It, it 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 that is still inexplicable. Those criticisms are still valid. I still feel them. You still feel them. Yep. Uh, this is not. This is not meant to suggest uh, that that that, that there's, a, there's a level that needs to be explained. Okay. Um, the second thing is, I, I, I think this kind of nicely bookends your position from the beginning. And here is a here's an example of where Merrick Garland extending the Bill Barr memo, right and Imposing restrictions on what can and cannot be done uh, within the timing of an election season um, may uh, work to our benefit, right? So, if so, consider suppose there's a serious flaw with the evidence, right? Again, we don't know this, right? But plenty of times publicly you're like, oh, the evidence shows this, but like the prosecutor knows, okay, we can't get X, Y, and Z in for whatever reason that's not made privy to the public. And suppose the DOJ has made a declination decision not to charge Matt Gates, right? The the, the opposite, that, that would be bad and we would all be sad about it. But the fact that the, the, the DOJ would then be relying on the Bill Barr memo to also not release that positive information, which... Yeah, absolutely would affect his his electoral contest, right? To come out and have the DOJ basically exonerate you and say, "Yeah, oh, no, we 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 have decided not to indict Matt Gates for sex trafficking. That that would be a huge benefit to his campaign, and the fact that he's getting neither, right? is an illustration of the policy.
0: Yeah, and it also shows, you know, why he wasn't indicted back in January. Well, they also didn't decline to prosecute him back in January, or they would have announced that, too, because it's not close enough to an election. Yep, yep. It's still uh, open. <laughs> and so there might be a problem with the evidence of the that girl who did the th- the three-way call. There might be problem with the evidence from the, the minor. There might be other considerations. But to me, what it feels like is happening... Is that the the prosecutors wanted to keep pushing even past December for Greenberg uh, to be sentenced so that they could have him testify at trial before they had to sentence him and it just the judge just wasn't having it. it's like it's been over a year dude it it'll be at that point I think 15 yeah. months uh, since his first sentencing hearing and uh, and so no I'm not gonna do it anymore. Uh, but you, they always have that 35B available. And I'm, from my understanding from talking to other prosecutors is it's pretty common, the 35B uh, thing. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but, yeah, I'm I'm also glad they can't announce a declination until after the election, yeah. too. Because if they do, I don't want to fucking hear from Matt Gaetz um, between now and, and, and his, his midterm election about it. I, ju- I just really don't.
1: Yep, absolutely.
0: All right, cool. That's the show. Uh, I appreciate you. We need to set up uh, offline after we get off here. We're going to talk about setting up a Zoom call for our patrons. Um, that should be coming uh, forthwith, and uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. And uh, thank you again, uh, everybody, and our patrons, and everyone listening uh, for supporting the show. You make it happen, and uh, we love doing it. I absolutely it's one of my favorite hours I spend a week with you, Andrew.
1: I, I feel exactly the same, and I can't wait to do. It. Another Zoom. Those have been fantastic. Uh, just really freewheeling. Sometimes they've gone on for hours, and just uh, I, I I love our opportunity to to interact with uh, with show listeners. So let's yeah. so uh, we'll let's announce get that,
0: that we'll announce that date on the next cleanup on All Forty Five. Until then, I've been Allison Gill,
1: and I'm Andrew Torres,
0: and uh, back to your dungeon, Andrew. We'll see you next. Okay. Time.